Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Today, it's Farmer Friday. We'd love to hear from you all throughout the show. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Well, again, it's Farmer Friday. Today our show is all about you. We're going to get to your calls and questions here in just a little bit. I've... I've gotten some really good questions in and a couple on soil tests that I'm looking forward to getting to today. Uh, But before I do, I I guess I was just going to let you know, yesterday I spent quite a bit of time, several hours actually, with Darren and the guys that work for us on our farm. And we were talking through our cropping plans. And this is one of the things, I don't know where you are at in this stage for this particular year, because let's say you're in the southern United States, you probably already have crop on the ground. And if you're like us here or further north, you still have snow on the ground and you might not be farming for a little bit. But nevertheless, what we always try to do is put together plans, not just for next week, for example, but we try to put put plans together for the entire season, just so we have an idea kind of where we're going and we can always fine-tune stuff. We can scout the field and see, oh, hey, there's some new bug or new weed or whatever. Or, wow, the crop is way ahead or way behind or whatever it is. I'm just saying we can always make adjustments to these plans. But we like having plans in general. So, number one, we can get both equipment and products secured. And number two, just so we can start looking at, okay, what is what are all these applications kind of going to look like? How does this all fit in time-wise? Because time is, a lot of times, your biggest limiting factor. Well, if yeah, if I get it. If we all had a whole bunch more time, there are many more things we could do on the farm, and our yields would probably be a heck of a lot better. So we're trying to manage, within the time we've got, how do we make all these things fit? Now, the other thing is, we were talking, I think it was yesterday on the show, about biologicals and natural products. Well, plant growth hormones are good when they're used correctly. But one of the things we mentioned yesterday is you have to be a little bit careful about, let's say, doubling up on these things or using one and then right away using another. Just let me give you a quick example here. So on our farm, every year we go around right as the corn is emerging and we spray our field borders. And you might say, well, why are you doing that? Didn't you put a pre on? Yeah, we did. But what ends up happening is in the field borders, just the outside few rows of the fields. You Think about it, even yourself on your farm. That's usually where the weeds are starting. That's usually where the weeds are worst. And so this is something that I picked up from some really good farmers over 30 years ago. And so every year, every field, we go around and just treat the outside few rows just as that crop is emerging. Well, this year we decided, you know, Um, we're doing a fair amount of tillage because we had so much manure applied last year. So we don't really need to worry too much about the brome creeping in from the edges of the fields. We we were much more concerned about this years ago when we were doing a lot of no-till and strip-till, and we're still doing some strip-till, but we just got so much manure last year that a whole bunch of our ground has to get tilled. So anyway, I'm not worried about the brome creeping in. So I just said to our guys, okay, what's our biggest concern on these field borders? And they all said, broadleaf weeds. <laughs> I said, okay, that's kind of what I thought. So I said, how about if this, because we're going to spray HPPD later. How about if we spray Banville? 
let's go a pint of Banville spraying on our field borders. Okay, well, Banville's a growth regulator. Well, if you spray a growth regulator, and then at least on our silage corn, we want to come back and spray Rise Up. That's gibberellic acid. Well, I don't want to spray Banville and three days later go out there with gibberellic acid because that could cause issues in the plant. Well, if you don't think about these things, then sometimes you know how it is on your farm. You get going and and sometimes you make mistakes. So this is part of the reason why we just encourage you to plan ahead a little bit, just like we're doing on our farm. Because as soon as we're like, okay, we're going to spray, spray field borders. And you know what? Instead of Roundup this year, why don't we spray some Banville in some of these fields? And it's like, well, wait a second here. We're going to do this other growth regulator uh, or plant growth hormone I don't think we want to match those things up. In fact, even right in the Rise Up label, it will tell you do not mix this with one of the group fours, like a 2,4-D dicamba, something like that. So I guess that was one of the things where I'm like, oh, it's a good thing that we kind of planned this out because otherwise we've got three guys that work for us on the farm. And then on our end, there's Darren, there's me. And we got a couple of agronomists that we're working with. So at any point, Darren could say something and say, hey, guys, uh, go go take care of this. Or I might say, yeah, guys, go do this. Well, if we aren't all on the same page, then all of a sudden we screw something up. And one of the big things that we talk to people about is it's the size of your mistakes that can really make a difference in your profit and loss. I, I mean, we're all going to screw up, but we got to keep those screw ups to a minimum. Otherwise... I mean, it just becomes incredibly costly. So here's where I'm going on this. We farm about 3,500 crop acres. We're going to probably have 2,100 acres of corn this year or more. And look at what that's worth. If you figure even $5 corn, even $5 corn, uh, it's going to be $1,200 an acre that I got at risk there. I, don't, I just don't want to screw that up. There's There's a good opportunity to make money this year, but... Costs are also high. You look at interest rates and, I mean, a lot of these costs around the farm, I mean, they're they're fairly high. So we've got to have really good income. Otherwise, we're going to have an awfully tough year. So anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up to you. The other thing that we're, we spent a lot of time talking about yesterday is what are we going to put in furrow? So in corn, I mean, we're going to do a little bit of fertility like we always do, but we're going to put insecticide out there and then we're going to put a biological product along with that. Well, we got to be careful about what we're doing with the water that goes with that because we always put a few gallons of water. So you want to make sure, like for our water, it's chlorinated. So we have to have a treatment product there to take care of the chlorination. Otherwise, we kill our microbes. On soybeans, we're not going to use any fertility in furrow. But what we are going to do is we're going to use a couple different beneficial microbes or microbial products. So here again, got to be careful with what we're mixing these things with. And that's why it's good to talk about all this stuff up front. So we just encourage you to talk to people on your farm and talk to your agronomist. Get a good plan set for this year. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Water Hemp. Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valen.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies 
And not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. There's an innovative new soybean herbicide on the market that's helping close the door on weed resistance and open new doors to productivity. Preview 2.1 SC Herbicide from UPL is a multi-mode of action pre-emergent that controls the most resistant broadleaf weeds at the beginning of the season and continues to control later weeds with strong residual activity. Ask your retailer about Preview 2.1 Herbicide from UPL and always read and follow label directions. Farmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5 EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5 EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio here on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. If you want to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. So first on, we got Tony out in California calling in. Hey, Tony, how are you today? I'm doing well. Good afternoon. So, Good afternoon. So I, I hear it's a little bit cold in your geography compared to normal right now. Well... I'll call it California cold, nothing compared to the rest of the country and, and, and Canada, I'm sure. But I'm uh, normally I would be two or three weeks on setting my watermelon and my other melon seeds in the ground, but I'm probably still another 10 days away from it, even being in the, in the mid-70s to get that started. Um, so, yeah, it's California cold, I guess. We're still, the nights are still about 30 37 to 40 degrees and the daytime's cooling down to about or getting only warming up to about 65 61 degrees so it's still a little chilly and the wind's blowing 20 30 miles per hour <laughs> yeah we're pretty familiar with wind out here in south dakota we got that all the time it seems like so uh, you, you, crazy <laughs> tell me about it <laughs> so yeah it's it's very difficult to find a day to spray out there uh that is that's one of our biggest challenges and the windiest months in our state by the way are march may and october so we have that to look forward to every spring. Just when guys are wanting to spray in May, that's our windiest month. So that's the way it goes. So you mentioned watermelon and, and yeah, yes. watermelon. That's holding you up. Uh, these colder temperatures. What else? What else is getting affected or impacted because of the colder temperatures for you? Well, luckily, you know, I'm a small farm compared to everybody else. I'm, I'm 20 acres. I have 1,500 fruit trees. I have 2,000 grapevines and I do about I do about three acres dedicated to melons um, all my early peaches my early apricots like my my early apricots are Katie apricots unfortunately I lost them my early peaches I lost them they they froze up but everything else um, all the other peaches my Belheim um, my Moore Park apricots are coming in um, everything else seems to be doing okay as far as my my stone fruit goes 
I'm just waiting. I'm starting my tomato seeds. Um, might even be a little too cold for that, even though I have them wrapped in plastic. Um, I'm just kind of waiting. Just everything sure. seems to be one month behind. Hey, let me ask you real quick on those all those trees that you have there. Is there anything you've found in terms of the fertility side that's really helped you? Nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium. I mean, has there been anything to you that stood out and you go, ooh, wow, since I've been doing more of this, my trees have been doing better? Well, I um, I lost my dad last May. May oh, sorry 4th, to hear that. And um, we kind of, yeah, thank you. 89 years old, he was... He was still knocking it out a week before before I lost him. But what was interesting, you know, he did, we kind of had, it was just us two working the whole farm. And we both had our things that that we did. And his thing was watering. Now, we're up in the Mojave Desert. It's kind of a mixture of sandy soil and, and just regular dirt. Mm-hmm. And he would like to, even though we're on the drip system, he would like to water the trees twice a week and leave the water on. They just kind of flood them out, leave, them on, leave the water on in the area for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I kind of always thought they needed to be watered less time, but more often. Not, not getting on my dad's case at all, because I love the guy, of course, and I learned a, a, a tremendous amount. But this last year, I was able to take, a, take control of the water, and I did that. I watered more often, but less time. And my bloom, my flowers, are like crazy on the trees. I don't know if it's the difference in the water, I did watering. I don't know if it's the difference in just the season, but I have tons of bees. I don't know where they come from. Um, I'm an oasis out there in the middle of the desert. I don't really have any. Any. I have an alfalfa farm, but they cut it before they, it flowers, and I have pistachio farms around me. But as far as fruit trees go, I'm the only one out there. Um, the bees show up, luckily, there's 20, 30, 50 bees on every tree, and, and I, I'm calling it a super bloom. So, oh, and I was going to, to answer your question, I'm going on. Um, I have a 1,000 chickens. So between throwing a scoop of chicken fertilizer on every tree and, uh, and the extra watering, um, I've just noticed, I think I've noticed the difference. Yeah. So... There's no science, you know. There's no science to what I do. Just what I've learned from my dad, what I what I what I watch, what I observe. Um, that's what I'm going with. Well, that that does sound like science to me because science is a lot of experimentation, a lot of trial and error. That's how some of the greatest things have ever come to be. Uh, hey, Tony, it's been great talking to you today. I really appreciate uh, you calling in, and good luck with everything out there. I'm sure it'll warm up soon. Yeah, thank you very much. Have a great day. Yep, you too. We'll see ya. I got Franklin calling in from Texas. Franklin, how are you today? Oh, doing good, doing good. How are you? Excellent. All right, so what's happening down in your geography? I hear it's pretty dry down there. Oh, yeah. We're we're staring down year two of a of a pretty severe drought in the southern panhandle here. And it's I don't know. Last year was we lost all but one farm. We had one pivot, and this year it's looking a little worse. So, uh, I, I, even irrigation isn't able to keep up very well. As dry and hot as it is, no, it's not. Unfortunately, and we're all but one farm. Everything else we have is all subsurface drip irrigation, and we found that with the dry, hot, windy conditions we have, unless we get some rains 
at the right time to kind of soak from the top side down, that subsurface drip, you just you can't force enough water up to get the seeds to germinate to come up. Yeah, I've always wondered about that. But when I've been down in Texas, a lot of guys are putting those drip systems in saying we could get by with half the water. And that all sounded great. And so I, I've over the years been pretty excited about that. But yeah, I, I imagine that that would be true when you're that dry and that hot. You got to have something going in from the top and something to move stuff down a little bit too, fertility and everything else. Yeah, a, a lot of guys have gone back to row watering. They'll stretch poly pipe and they'll row water to try to get some top moisture. Yep. But it's even then, it's you can get by on half the water. Like you can, if you have a well that what most would consider a, an extremely good house well, well, you might can get by with running a subsurface drip system, whereas sure. you couldn't with anything else. Right. The problem comes in where they're they're irrigating earlier and they're running longer yep so technically you're pumping more water than you would if you weren't you know if you were running just a traditional like a pivot Hmm. but it's still (laughs) it's it's kind of a a win-lose situation i guess you could say so because of this dry weather you're holding off on planting we're holding off on a lot of things we we won't plant cotton until mid-may Oh, okay. But we haven't even gone in, and we we went in last year as soon as we got done stripping cotton and planted wheat across every acre. It's a, the first time we've ever done it. Yep. There was a forage program that came in. We said, well, even if we don't make the, the cut for hay for forage, at least we'll have something to keep everything from blowing away over the winter. Right. So the only thing we've got to do as far as tillage this spring is just bed the rows back up because we do plant on bedded rows. Okay. And... We're not even we're not even anywhere close to looking at turning a key on a tractor for a, a good while. So if it was to start raining, though, then I mean, at any point you could get going, really, right? Oh yeah, yeah. At, at any point, as long as we get some moisture in the ground, I can I can go out, hook onto the plow, it's ready to go, and I can start bedding my rows up. Yeah, that's one of the things. And granted, we're so much colder than you are up here in South Dakota, but our dad talked about about that with us like back in the super dry years and he just said hey we're just going to hold off we're going to wait until we get some moisture because there's nothing out there right now and I don't want to be putting my seed into dry dirt so what ends up happening a lot of times when we do that is there'll be a spot of moisture and then there's no moisture well then you get really uneven emergence and then it just kind of looks like a mess so well anyway Franklin uh, we will pray for some rain for you certainly wish you the best down there thanks a lot for calling in today Yep, y'all have a good one. Yep, you too. It's Farmer Friday here on our show today. We're live in the Morton studio just uh, taking your phone calls. Number's 844-44-AG-PHD. And we're going to get to your questions in the Ag PhD mailbag coming up in just a little bit. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 
This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow label instructions. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. From the smallest fastener to the trusses overhead, Morton leaves absolutely no detail to chance. It's how we ensure that your building stands the test of time. From concept to completion, we take pride in providing a high-quality building to last for generations. To get started on your next project, please visit mortonbuildings.com. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. The hard-working, independent spirit of rural America can often be isolating. It's not often discussed, but mental health issues are real. Now's the time to lead by example, talk openly, and show that a strong mind is just as important as a strong body. FMC is proud to be working toward ending the misconceptions around mental health. Through awareness, guidance, and action, together we can uproot the stigma. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio on a Farmer Friday. I'm Brian Hefty. If you want to call into the show, it's 844-44-AG-PHD. It's what Daryl did from over in Michigan. Hey, Daryl, how's it going today? I'm doing well, Brian, and yourself? Doing great. So I got some information from our producers about, uh, you, I guess you had some questions. So would you like to talk about those first? Yeah, yeah, that'd be wonderful. All right, so the first, um, oh, go ahead. No, yeah, you know. That's fine. Go ahead. I was just going to say the the first one that that they had said to me is is there any correlation between cation exchange capacity and tile spacing? And there absolutely is. Cation exchange capacity basically what that means it's the holding capacity of your soil. The higher the number, the heavier the ground, and the yep. higher the number, the closer together your tile spacing needs to be. It's really that simple. Now, yeah. there's no set thing where we say, well, if you've got a 25 CEC, your tile spacing has to be 32 feet or anything like that. But it's just a relative thing where we say, hey, the heavier the soil, the tighter the spacing has to be. Yeah, and and it's it's that way around us now. It used to be, you know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, 
everything was at four rods or 66 yep. feet, you know, yep. roughly. And then early 80s, it started narrowing down to 50 feet. Yep. And and now guys are going 33 feet or 25 feet. And and I think it's a lot of it is because farms are bigger now and they got bigger equipment. They need to get on that ground and move. And, and like, the CECs around us are, you know, single digits to maybe low teens. And I, myself, we've been going in and, and splitting lines, mm-hmm. you know, go, going down to that 30 feet or 40 feet. So sure. I, I just, I, I know you would talk, you would talk, I heard you talk about a farmer the other day out in Nebraska that had like 90 feet centers on some really heavy ground. And that's kind of what <laughs> made me bring, bring that question up, you know. Yep. Yep. Well, it, it's just like, we've talked to a lot of people in Southern Minnesota. So we're very close to the Minnesota border, probably 15 yep. miles away. So we, we got a lot of people we work with in southern Minnesota that their grandpa's tiled, and they put it at 100-foot spacings. Well, then their yeah. dads came in, split them to 50s. Well, now with yield monitors and everything else, and that's really what's driven a lot of the stuff because guys are like, yeah, I can absolutely tell when I'm in between the tile lines. Well, now uh, the kids are, are going 25-foot centers. So, I mean, they just yeah. kept splitting the lines. And, you know, we often tell people, hey, if nothing else, start wide. Just plan on, have a have a big enough main. So if you want to yep. split it sometime, you can. But, I mean, let's be honest, as farmers, um, we don't like to spend any more money than we have to. <laughs> so uh, sometimes we start there and then we, uh, we we see how it goes. Yeah, we, we did a farm for a landlord here a few years ago. We put an eight-inch main on and the towel guy told me I should be putting a 15 on. Ooh. I said, well, the money's just not there yep. to do that. Yep. And so far, it, it worked out all right, but there's still some spots out there. But Yeah, and then what happens, so. too, is the really wet years. Like here on our farm, 2018 and 2019, we had record rainfall. So all the stuff where we went cheap during our first years of tiling, we go, doggone it. Our dad yeah. had told us this, too. He's like, because he had lots of experience with tile, and he said, guys, if you can afford it, you always want to upsize your tile. Lines. We're like, oh no, we're fine. Yeah. We farm in South Dakota. It's dry. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I should have listened. Okay, so yeah. your second question here, it was you're looking at putting um, some ground into CRP. What do we do to, or what could you do to manage or build that soil? So anything more with that? What, what what's your goal here? Well, it, it's some pretty light soil, and the guys that are farming my farm, when by the they're barely making back their planting expenses. Yep. And I don't, you know, and I don't feel right about that, that, you know, and plus on top of that, they're paying me cash rent, so they're losing money on this. Yep. So when I talked to them last fall, I said, you know, maybe we should just throw this into the CRP. You guys are going to be better off because you're not throwing money away, good money after bad. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm just in the planning stages right now, but I did get a call yesterday and they wanted to know, you know, like a, a nat- putting down natural grasses, um, with some, I guess, some pollinators or something would increase my score. And, but I, I want to try and build this soil up over the, over the, when it's in the CRP. And I asked him, I said, well, can you put manure on this, you know, while it's growing? Nope, you can't do that. You, you know, they got so many <laughs> rules out there that yep, it's that's just crazy. So I don't know if I should yeah. go out there and, and load it up with manure now and then plant yep. my grasses and just leave it yep. alone. And, yep. Yes. Yep. That's probably what I would suggest. In fact, that is what we often suggest, whether it's manure or commercial fertilizer, whatever you want to do. Anytime you're going to seed a perennial crop, you got to say, hey, this is my one chance to get nutrients down in the soil. 
So I, I, I know it, it seems kind of strange because CRP, a lot of people are like, oh, we're putting it back to the way it used to be. Well, the way things used to be is the buffalo were roaming the prairies and they were leaving <laughs> lots of manure on that, that, that ground. And if you aren't allowed to do that, well, it's going to be real tough for that grass to be great. Now, my concern yeah. with having the pollinators out there, and I know there are all these things where, hey, there's more money or a better score, or this or that, but let's be honest, it's going to be almost impossible to kill weeds out there if you have these pollinators. So if all of a sudden a bunch of thistles get started, you're going to call up and say, hey, what can I do for these thistles? And we're going to give you all kinds of great suggestions, but every single one of them is going to kill those pollinators. So I'm just, you can do whatever you want. I'm just throwing out the the positives and the negatives, and then you can make your decision from there. But yeah, if it's me, I'm going to load it up with fertility to begin with. I'm going to seed those grasses. And we have seen lighter soils, like in our region of the country, boy, they do get better over 10, 20 years of CRP. Now, granted, I mean, you can destroy that again uh, when you start farming it again, but uh, the the beginning is great. And so if you can leave it no-till, strip-till, something like that, long-term, eventually, yeah, it, it will be better. But you can't ever convert sand into clay. So, right. you know, all you can do really is build soil organic matter. So you're, the yeah. expectations yep. have to be realistic, but yes, you can improve that soil. Yeah, okay. That, right. that answers that question. And then the final thing I had was, um, if, if, in your area, have you seen any, like, solar farms or any anybody out there yep. trying to rent ground up for solar farms? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. Uh, Amazon just put up this great big facility right near us, uh, so about 10 miles away from here. And I don't know if this has any connection to them. People have said it does, and then I also hear it doesn't. But the fact of the matter is there's, I'm going to say it's like 800 acres that somebody was trying to do a solar farm on. Um, yeah. it, not not too far. It's probably 40 miles away from us. But um, one of the people that works for us, it's right by her farm. <laughs> And so she hasn't been real happy about it. And I'm like, look, it's the United States, and you can do whatever you want with your ground. It's kind of sad, though, if we're going to start taking really good farm ground and we're going to put solar panels on there. So I I was down in Arizona just a couple, three weeks ago, and I drove into a parking lot, and I'm like, hey, they got shade here for all our cars. And then I, I looked a little closer, and it's like, oh, these are solar panels. I said, why don't we put start putting all the solar panels in the parking lots? Because, I mean, that would seem like a, a much better place for them. But, yeah, I mean, there are... And here again, you know, there's positives and there's negatives, but there are all these people talking about, uh, you know, I got to have green energy and we got to have solar panels, but where are you going to put them? I, I'm not a right. huge fan of taking good farm ground, but, you know, I, it is what it is. And, and that's my philosophy, too. I mean, we have, you know, we have probably four to 500 wind turbines in our in our county yep. over the last 10 years. and. You know, the wind turbine companies have, have been really good about where they put the roads and the farmers benefit from that. And sure. the turbines themselves take up little to no space yeah. at all. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm not, I mean, we've got them on our farms and it makes us 50, 60 bucks an acre, sure. you know, uh, on that. But when I'm kind of in the same philosophy as you, I mean, we're losing farmland every day. And, and the the project that, that they're looking at putting in our township here is two or three hundred acres again, yeah. you know, and some of it's marginal ground. I get that, sure. but, um, and, and I've had calls myself, you know, wanting to rent my ground and I'm like, nope, not even interested because my ancestors worked too hard yeah. to clear this ground and to, to make it good, productive farmland and I'm not, 
I'm not doing it regardless of how much money you offer me. Yeah. Yep. And there are some people that feel just like you do. And then there are others that, hey, they just want the money and they're willing to do whatever. And, you know, that that's one of our things in our free market yeah. economy. I, I mean, we just have to kind of see how it goes. But the government can step in at any point and say, hey, we're going to leave farm ground or we're not. And so I guess I, I hate to get into too much political stuff here, Daryl, but uh, yeah. thanks a lot for bringing that up because that is yep. an important thing that a lot of people are talking about. Hey, we got to run, yeah. but uh, thanks a lot. Okay. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. You, you have bet. a good day. Yep, Bye-bye. you too. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Nutrition N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator Closing Wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. You won't want to miss this year's Ag PhD Field Day with guided tours of our extensive research plots, world premieres of the latest ag technologies, the highest yielding farmers on the planet, and more equipment running than ever before. The Ag PhD Field Day just keeps getting bigger and better. We'll also have great family entertainment, including a kids area, music, fantastic guest speakers, and food and drink available all throughout the day. But the best part is everything's free. Go to agphd.com to learn more for the Ag PhD Field Day, Thursday, July 27th. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Oh! Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no. Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. It's Farmer Friday here at Ag PhD Radio. I'm Brian Hefty, live in the Morton studio. Just taking your calls and questions all throughout the show today. Going back to the phone lines again, we got Gabriel calling in from Missouri. 
Gabriel, I hear you're driving down the road. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Coming back from St. Louis. I'm off the farm today. So uh, what is happening on your farm right now? I mean, are you getting about ready to plant down there? As soon as it dries up, yes, sir. We are uh, putting fixing to put the second shot on the wheat, winter wheat. And as soon as it dries up, it'll be go time for corn. And shortly thereafter that, it'll be rice and then beans. <laughs> so, sounds that's, like you, uh, that's you our, have a lot that's to do. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, lot to do down there. So w- when do you usually get started planting corn, then rice, then beans? Is it right about now, generally? Uh, a year ago last year, or, you know, last year we were planting the 20th of March. So into yep. March, 1st of April, it, you know, that's that's usually when we start planting corn. So how's the wheat looking so far? Well, we have gotten ample amounts of rain the last month probably 10 inches and we were dry we were dry last fall Mm -hmm. and it it came up well it looks good you know came up very well good and uh it it looks good for for the last (laughs) 10 inches of rain we've had but (laughs) we we don't really need any more but it, it does look pretty good yeah yep yep good so we don't talk about rice on our show very often. Do you have a couple of tips for us on rice that you do to maximize production there? Well, we grow all hybrid, and um, there's two there's two uh, methods of rice. You grow row rice or patty rice, and you know there's advantages to both. The patty rice probably yields better; it does yield better, but the row rice is. Uh, it's easier to get in, get it out, and uh, get the next the ground ready for the next crop. I we like all hybrid. You know there are other options, but we like hybrid. It just uh, just you don't have to put as much fertilizer, nitrogen on. Um, it's a little oh, so it just seems like it's a little uh, ha- less hassle to uh, to get it to grow a good crop. You know. What's your biggest weed issue in rice, and how do you kill it? It is always grass. The the broadleafs, um, you know, the water, if it's paddy rice, the broadleafs, they'll die out. But the grass is always a problem. Um, just uh, two or three different options of chemicals. That, um, right now I can't think of what we spray, but we're, <laughs> there's new path, but we don't, we don't. We don't have that uh, red rice issue that we have to plant uh, full-page rice, but uh, we try to uh, switch our crops out every other year, you know, alternate. Yeah. So, in other words, you're you're saying in your other crops like corn and beans and wheat, you're trying to make absolutely sure you get every possible blade of grass killed. (laughs) Yes, sir. That's right. (laughs) In in rice, you can have barnyard or crabgrass or... Uh, there's a multitude of, of grasses that give you trouble, but uh, you know, and you can't spray, you cannot spray Roundup on rice, but you can in corn and beans, obviously. But yeah. rice, you cannot. So, any other big issues that you have raising rice? I mean, what's the what's the big holdup for you in terms of getting more yield? Well. Keeping water on it where we live is not an issue. I mean, in our ground, if you look, you know, in our wells, if you look down 10 feet, keeping water, you know, the water is there 10 feet below surface. So that's mm-hmm. not an issue. I'm, 
the big the biggest issue on rice is really getting it out you know because the ground could be saturated and usually is stay saturated uh just rice is a it's a slow process it's harvest is you know yeah so all right well hey uh, gabriel thanks a lot for calling in today it's uh, it is interesting hearing about some of these different crops and we'll, we'll hope that the rain stops for you we got a whole bunch of other guys that could use that rain so maybe that'll move to another area of the country and you can get going here in your crops pretty soon all right hey, appreciate it you bet thanks all right uh next on we've got Mark, who's a farmer, and then we got Nelson also calling in, who is Mark's agronomist. Uh, so, Mark and Nelson, how are you guys doing today? Good. Oh, I'm doing great. All right. So, and and Mark, I know you farm ground in different states. So you're you're in Mississippi today. Yes, sir. All right. So what what's the issue? What what can I help you with? Uh, we had some corn that was in the third leaf stage and it got down to 28 degrees. Okay. I so we both got, Nelson and I both have questions when, when we don't know the answers to. <laughs> All right. Well, unfortunately, guys, um, I'm very familiar with this problem because this happens to us on a regular basis where we have corn that is, let's call it V3, gets to 28 degrees and it burns some of the top leaves off. Fortunately, with corn, the growing point is still below ground until you get to about that V6 stage. So as a general statement, the corn will be fine. It'll come out of it. It's just sometimes we see a little bit delayed maturity, which shouldn't be a big deal for you guys, is for us sometimes. But in terms of yield, if you lose any yield, it's not much. So generally speaking, we still end up with some really good crop. Uh, I would say this, though, you don't get quite as much early crop canopy. So sometimes you end up with a few more weeds in a field like that. But uh, but anyway, what what are your questions? Um, one of my things is, so uh, the corn was frosted over. I don't know. I guess that was Sunday. We went and looked at it Monday. It's growing back off pretty good now. We've got some good growing degree days these past few days we've got some sun and some temperatures but as it's coming back some of the plants are not as damaged as others so there's some size disparity between them um like some of them just got a shoot some actually have a leaf uh so some of them didn't get damaged as bad what how will that affect yield and will those plants even up um, they're, they're going to end up most likely producing ears at about the same time. So we've tried this in reverse too, where we have, uh, let's say plants that are coming up a couple leaf stages before the other. And so we've tried to mow those off basically and cut those top leaves off. So the plants are totally even and you'd think, oh, everything's going to be good now. No, it doesn't work that way. So what we care about is the stage of growth that you're at, not what you see for leaves. It's the stage of growth that you're at. So the ears should all come out at about the same time. Now the the plant may look a little bit different from one to the next, whether it was damaged or it wasn't, but yeah, you're, you're really not going to have much of a problem with that. So I'm not, I'm not very concerned. I would say this again, though, you'll see a slight maturity difference. That's typically what we've noticed where the plant was damaged versus the plant that wasn't damaged, but it'll be real close. Got you. 
Another question I have is, oh, you can go ahead, Mark. Go ahead, Nelson. Go ahead. I was wondering, you know, me and Mark talked because we have different planting dates. In regards to a freeze, yep. would you rather have it at V3, at spiking, at one true leaf, or does it really matter? Um, or not even germinated yet, or just with the just germinated. The, well, what, you know, is there any differences, or do they have any different effects on yield? Um, at at none of those stages, we should have any impact. Where we have impact is when we actually start killing the plants, and you're going to kill the plants one of two ways. Either number one, that growing point is above ground, so that's basically V6 or or more. Or it gets so ridiculously cold that it's able to kill the growing point even though it's still in the ground. So I will just tell you that very commonly here on our own farm, we are planting and the soil temp is in the 30s, 40s, something like that. The soil, uh, the air temperature will drop below freezing many different days after we have planted. So not once, not three times, but many, many different days. So again, we're, we're very familiar with this, so I can hopefully answer just about any of your questions. Uh, can, you, can you guys hang on, though, for me? Because we are up against a break here. I'm, I'm happy to continue talking about this, though, because, again, we got, we got lots of experience. Hopefully we can uh, help you guys a little bit. So uh, just hang on with us. We'll be right back. This is Ag PhD Radio. My mom's got a new Case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Get what you spray for. Results. Get the lasting control more corn growers trust with Anthem Max Herbicide from FMC. Apply pre-plant, pre-emergence, or early post-emergence to control tough broadleaf weeds and grasses before they cost you. For superior control with a low use rate and long residual, make the easy, high-performing choice. Visit anthemmax.ag.fmc.com to get results. Always read and follow all label directions. At Ag PhD, we're always looking for ways to support the ag industry. That's why at our free Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event, we're giving away more than 100 college scholarships. Plus, we'll head out into the field for hands-on agronomy sessions, including our comprehensive guide to crop scouting. This day may be geared towards younger farmers, but whether you're a college student or just want good agronomy info, this is one event you won't want to miss. Learn more and register for the Ag PhD Scouting and Scholarships event at agphd.com. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutricia and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. 
Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. When we told growers that New Bear Premium Trifold Herbicide for corn delivers visibly clean fields for up to eight weeks, they were a bit skeptical. Um, we'll see how it works. So we decided to prove it. We set up cameras in multiple cornfields, treated them with Trivolt, and filmed for 24 hours a day. For eight weeks, we saw a variety of weather conditions, and Trivolt worked. See for yourself at trivoltinaction.com. Trivolt is a restricted-use pesticide. Consult your state pesticide regulator for specific restrictions. Read and follow pesticide label directions. Right before the break, we were talking to Mark, who farms down in Mississippi, and is agronomist Nelson. And one of the things that Nelson had asked is, at what timing would we like to have that frost? Now, granted, we don't want to have it any time, but uh, if we were to get that frost, when's it going to do the least amount of damage? It, honestly, I would rather have it earlier rather than later, just because then I have less risk, and then the plant has more time to recover. But again, whether you have that frost when the seed is in the ground, whether it's at V1, V2, V3, we don't see a lot of difference yield-wise. So generally speaking, the corn comes out of it just fine and everything is okay, especially when you have good weather afterwards, which it sounds like you're having. So anyway, what else do you guys have for questions? Go ahead, Mark. Uh, uh, so when we when we go to figure out what... Uh stage we're at i'm assuming that those <laughs> leaves will never come back so right. i mean well, we'll just count leaf collars then yep yeah leaf collars uh, sometimes we've done it before where we look in the soil and we see all right do we have five rings of nodal roots because the first five rings of nodal or well, the only five rings of nodal roots they correlate exactly with the first five leaf stages so when you're at we have one nodal root you're at v1 two nodal roots, you're at V2, and so on. So you can do it either way. But, I mean, the other way is just obviously, hey, if it looks like I got two, two dead leaves over here, well, I'm just uh, two leaf stages behind. But, uh, or yeah. I mean, it looks like I'm two leaf, leaf stages behind, but I, actually I'm there. So when your plant gets up to what I would call V5, it might only look like V3 if I lost those top two leaves. Okay. Or, or uh, bottom what, two, whatever what about it is. Yeah, what about our fertilizer applications? Is it going to be more important to get it on earlier, or is that going to affect nope. it any? Nope, nope, Everything's Everything pretty much remains exactly the same. So, honestly, um, it might have been better if you had not even known that, that you had this problem. You were on vacation for two weeks. You show back up again. It's like, oh, I just I continue on with my life. I continue farming the exact same way. We've never found that treating that plant any differently makes any real difference. Now, if you think, well, it's a little bit stunted, whatever, and maybe I want to give it some plant growth hormones or something, I mean, you can certainly do that, and it may help a little bit, but there's nothing that I can say, oh, it, you got to do this, and it's this home run kind of thing. Um, you're going to be fine. Okay. That'll make a Mississippi boy feel good, because that was my first <laughs> 
experience in walking out a thousand acres of corn and seeing nothing but death. So <laughs> always call the guys in the cold climates when you're worried about any yeah. frost issues. We've got more than enough experience. Interestingly, too, what we have found over the years is if you have ground that has been tilled, you will see less frost damage than ground that has not been tilled. And the reason why it's that heat that's coming out of the ground. So it makes a tremendous amount of difference. And I didn't realize that until about 30 years ago when we had some frost in our farm. And you know where it was. It was all around the end rows where we hadn't worked it. And in the field where we did work it, no no frost damage at all. It's kind of interesting you say that because I noticed uh, yesterday when I was driving around, I plant end rows on my field. The field is rowed up, but the end rows are not rowed up because it doesn't work very well. I just plant it flat around the outside. Mm-hmm. And I noticed that where the ground was flat, the corn wasn't burnt back near as bad. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So yep. I just attributed it to that was closer to all the ground. So it had a little more heat protection. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't know. That's just what I assume. So anyway. Yep, but yeah, and there's nothing you can really do to make that crop more frost-tolerant other than having a good balance of nutrients in the soil. So what we always talk to, talk about up here is having good drainage, and then you want good levels of zinc and potassium in that plant because those are two key things in terms of overall frost tolerance. But when, when you only hit 28 degrees and you're at V3, honestly, I'm not worried about it. You're fine. Yeah, it was one of them deals this year. We needed some more average conditions. We, It was 80 degrees. I planted that corn two and a half inches deep, and you could row it in seven days. So <laughs> it, it fired out of the ground. A little cooler weather sure would have helped it probably. Yep. Yep. We, we talk about that often here when we're planting super early. And I just say, guys, we don't want an early warm-up because we know frost is going to come for us like in early May. And boy, if we had really warm temperatures in mid-April, we might have crop way out of the ground. Now, granted, with corn, it's not a big deal. But some of the other crops like soybeans, that can be much more of an issue because the growing point is above ground as soon as you see those cotyledons above ground. Um, The good news, like with soybeans, is the cotyledons are more frost tolerant. So very often we can go to 26, sometimes even 24 degrees and not totally kill that bean. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yep. I don't think beans will be that tolerant to at the cotyledon stage, yes. Now, when they get bigger, they oh, aren't as tolerant. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, hey, guys, uh, hopefully that helped. And, uh, yeah, don't worry. You can sleep good tonight. Your corn will be fine. Thank you, sir. <laughs> you bet. See you guys. All right. It's time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. This first one comes from Larry from out in central Washington, and he sent some soil tests. And Larry, I just want to say this. The the way that that soil test lab is running your tests, it's not the normal way that other labs run their tests. So for example, on one of your, your tests, I looked at it, 6.8 for soil pH, yet they're telling you that you've got 34% hydrogen. I'm I'm going to promise you this. You do not have 34% hydrogen if your pH is 6.8. 
what you have is more like 2% hydrogen. So when I change the numbers a little bit, it definitely changes the base saturation. So all of a sudden, my potassium goes from 1% up to 2%. The magnesium goes from 15 to 23. And the calcium goes from 49 all the way up to 72%. So it's a, it's a big change. So that's one of the things that I would say. And if you want, you could certainly send it to some other lab, and then we could look at the tests from that. But anyway, just commenting on your overall soil tests, a lot of the things that they're telling you on your soil test are absolutely right. Your phosphorus levels at 6 are really, really low. Your potassium levels at 86 are really, really low. Um, even manganese, 3 parts per million, really low. Boron, 0.3, really low. So those things just have to get improved. I'd also say one of the things that I like on your soil test, they're telling you what your phosphorus to zinc ratio is. And this, on this one that I'm looking at, it's 2 to 1. You do not want your phosphorus to zinc ratio at 2 to 1. We have found that hurts yield in just about every crop. You want that phosphorus to zinc ratio usually, and it all depends on the tests in the lab, but somewhere in the general ballpark of 10 to 1, and then you're in a little bit better shape. So those are just some of our comments. Again, if you wanted to send it to another lab uh, that uh, maybe we're more familiar with or does things a little bit more like we do in most of the rest of the country, uh, we could certainly talk about that at that point as well. All right, next one comes from Kevin from Missouri, and he says, we grow eastern gamma grass. It's a warm season grass, and I was looking at the fertilizer removal app that you guys have at Ag PhD for an idea of how to fertilize it. Well, you don't have gamma grass, so what should I use? What should I do? I was also wondering what kind of pre's would you recommend for Milo? Okay, so Kevin, first of all, uh, yeah, we do have a number of different grasses in the, on the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, everything from Bermuda, Brome, Rye, Orchard, Switch, Reed Canary, we got a whole bunch of different grasses there. But if you look at University of Missouri, for example, in the state you're from, they will tell you that this gamma grass, it's related to corn, and you probably want to fertilize it more like you would silage corn rather than any other grass. Soil pH, they prefer like a 5.5 to a 6. It's got rhizomes. I mean, it's it's uh, it, it certainly looks like a good forage grass, and I guess I would just encourage you maybe uh, fertilize fertilize pretty heavy. It, it's going to take a fair amount of nitrogen. That's the biggest thing, but you got to make sure your P and K and micronutrient levels are good as well. In terms of your question about Milo and pre-emerge herbicides, our favorite is Verdict. That's a combination of Outlook and Sharpen. Now, the, the thing that I would say is uh, you, you can certainly run with a straight group 15, like a dual or outlook. You just have to make sure that with any of these, when you're using a group 15, you've got treated seed, concept treated seed. But the reason why we like the verdict is because you've got a broadleaf killer out there in addition to the grass killer. The other thing that I wanted to point out is with Verdict, you've got a reduced rate of a group 15. So a lot of times that I'll tell guys to do is get the Verdict and then spike in a little more group 15, spike in a little more Outlook to get yourself up to the full rate. Because in Milo, typically grass is the number one issue. Now, very often I realize it's Palmer pigweed and some other things, but, but anyway, I, I would just say go Verdict, spike in a little more Outlook. That's generally speaking uh, what the best possible program is. Well, we hope you've enjoyed our show today here on this Farmer Friday. Uh, before we go, just want to say thanks to our producer, Alex, running the controls for us today. Uh, thanks to everybody who called in, and also thanks to those who wrote in with questions. We really appreciate that. And thanks to you for listening. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. And now, stay tuned for Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs>